You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life family. How are my people? I I love being here with you guys on Sunday morning and sometimes Thursday night. Um, uh, Glad you're here. We are excited about this new series that we're jumping into. And if you got my email this last week, then if you didn't get my email this last week, there's only two reasons why that would be possible. One is it went to your junk mail. And the other is that we don't have your email address, so you need to um, fill out that Connect card that's in the seat pocket in front of you and drop it in the box on your way out today. Uh, so we would love to have that. But um, we, you know that um, I believe that the next two weeks are probably the most important sermons that we will preach in the history of our church. Now, maybe going forward, there will be things that we'll talk about that will be more important. But I think what we're going to talk about over the next couple of days is critical important on multiple levels. But the biggest one is, I believe that God is just getting started on the Palouse. And what we're going to talk about on the next couple of weeks is about us being able to access how we can be a part of it, what he's going to do next. And I'm, I'm, with all the seriousness in my heart, I want to invite you to be a part of what God's up to next. Um, And so we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about worship, but uh, before we jump into that, my wife, um, this is my wife, Um, here's why I have her up here, first of all, because she's a great gal, you should get to know her, Um, and secondly, because when we're talking about worship, I thought it would be really wise for our worship pastor to maybe weigh in on that. And so we have her here. Um, Thad, our campus pastor in Pullman, is um, preaching this with Chris Clayton, the worship pastor at the Pullman campus. They're doing that together as a team as well because we want our people who are most passionate about worship to have a voice in the conversation. So she has an announcement for you, and um, then we'll get rolling into the sermon. I'm super excited about this. So yesterday, um, a few of us took a day to write songs for our church and think about what is the story God is telling with this group of people. And I think he's telling things like he's for us and we have a good story and we're full of potential and we need songs. We need songs that say that. So we wrote two songs yesterday for our church, the first of real life worship. And so we're going to be teaching those to you soon. We're really excited about that. I'm excited about that too. Yeah. So um, before we get rolling too far in this, I want to talk about worship series kind of as a, as a genre. You like that word? As a genre of sermons. Worship series have a tendency to take on a flavor of let's back out and look at worship at kind of a 50,000 foot view. We, do, we talk about worship a lot of the same way we talk about tithing and that we want to keep it big picture and like we, wanna, we know that everything that we do is an act of worship and work is a worship and the way that you talk to people at work is a worship and the way that you deal with your family is an act of worship. And yes, that is all true. That's all true. It's all true. It's true. The problem is, like a tithing series, if we don't ratchet down and get real specific about what we're talking about, people who are new to their faith don't really understand what we're talking about when we talk about corporate worship. And so for this series, for the next two weeks, and I want to be clear about something, 
This week and next week are two parts of one sermon, okay? They're, they're definitely going to build on each other. But for this next couple of weeks, we are going to be talking specifically about corporate worship. What do we do during our church service when we come in here and sit in here on Thursday night or on Sunday morning? What are we doing when we're here and why do we have to do it? Because I know a lot of us are like, I don't like singing and some of us are like, I don't like singing, but I don't like the way you sing. Um, you know, there's, there's so many variables in worship, and I get it. But here's the deal. What we want to press you to is we have an expectation of people who call real life family. If you want to be a part of our family, we want to be people who tell a certain kind of story with our lives about who our God is. And so we want to come in here and we want to sing and we want to do, we want to make this serious. And, and so I want to wrestle with, like, if you came in here this morning and you're like, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, I don't, why do we have to sing? Why do we, do, is this like the, is this the filler before the sermon? Is that what this is? What is this thing that we're doing? So I want to talk about, I want to give us five reasons why we should worship. Okay. I want to move through these quickly, but five reasons why I think we should sing in worship. Number one, those who don't want to sing to God are at odds with the rest of the universe. So there's that. Um, the entire universe sings his glory. Look at Psalm 19, one through four. Here's what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun. The entire creation sings God's praise. And if that's what creation does and we're part of it, then we should do it too. Number two, the angels in heaven sing to God. If you remember Isaiah's vision of going to the throne room of God, he sees that there's four living creatures around the throne room. And in Isaiah 6, chapter 3, or chapter 6, verse 3, he says this, the one who was called, one called to another, he's talking about these angels in the vision, one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now we know that John's going to pull on this imagery in Revelation, right? He's going to do this too. Like it seems like from Isaiah to John, they've been doing it and probably for a long time on both sides of that. Did the angels ever get sick of worshiping God? Like, no. Number three, we should sing to God because the saints in heaven sing to God. Look at Revelation chapter five, verses 11 and 12. Here's what it says. And then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Listen to me, when you get to heaven, you will worship God. And you might as well get used to it now. Number four. God says it's an integral part of the Christian life. Look at Colossians 3, verse 16. Here's what it says. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that one. It's in the text. Like, I love that, right? Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Now listen to this. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
Like this is a foundational piece of how Christians conduct themselves, not just because we want to tell God who he is, but because in the community, we've got to be willing to tell each other who our God is. Which leads me to my fifth point. When you sing, you build others up. It's not just about you when you come to corporate worship. Yes, it's about you and God. Yes, it is. But it's not just about that. It's also about us this way. Look at Ephesians 5, 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, not in your heart, with your heart. When we sing in the presence of others, like, you got to know this. There are days that I don't feel like I want to move forward, and your praising reminds me of who my God is when I don't feel like I have the energy to do it on my own. You help build one another up. In fact, let's go beyond the church out into the community. Look at Psalm 105, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. That's the nations. How do we make known his deeds among the peoples? How do we do it? Here's how. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. You want to put your God on display to the Palouse and to the world? Worship him through singing. Like it seems to me that the Bible again and again and again makes this clear, and I get it. We have all different kinds of reasons, dare I say excuses, for why we feel like we're the ones that don't actually have to be a part of corporate singing. And there's a list of them. You may be able to add to this list, but um, my, I'm going to let my wife run through a few that we've come up with. The one we hear frequently is, well, I just, I can't sing. I have a bad voice. But Josh Gray still sings, and he makes a joyful noise. He, he's not using that as an excuse. And I told him Thursday night, I said, Josh, actually, when you praise, you build me up. You remind me who God is. So thank you for not using that as an excuse. So we can't sing. There's, there's one excuse we have. What about, we're just in a really hard place. We're in a hard place, and it doesn't feel like we can conjure that up. We can't conjure up singing. Or maybe we're angry at God. We're feeling like he's been holding out on us, and we don't want to sing to him. What about you don't really like music at all? You don't like it in the church. You don't like it out of the church. You don't connect on any level with music. Or maybe you tried out for the worship team, and you didn't make it. And the reality is there are a variety of reasons why people don't make it onto the worship team. But you, maybe you have some bitterness and resentment and you don't want to be in here during that time. What if you just don't like our style? You don't like how we're a little bit pop culture. You, don't, you wish we could do more hymns. You wish it wasn't so loud. You wish it was more free flow. You wish this, that, or the other about how things are music-wise. And so... You'd just rather not be here or sing. What about, what if you didn't come from a church background? I, I've tried to view worship, I've tried to put on that hat and think about what is it like for people, they have no church background. And here we are singing songs about death and blood and dying and we're raising our hands and singing and crying. and Like that's gonna be super weird. I get it, I get it. <laughs> 
And in this room is comprised many, many faith backgrounds, ex-Mormon, ex-Catholic, non-instrumental Church of Christ, all the way through to very charismatic Pentecostal and everything in between. And for some of us, we were raised um, to keep, keep expression, keep emotion in because it feels irreverent. For me, I I grew up very much in that. Um, I grew up in a Christian church where you you sang out of the hymnal, and um, for me, and I'm not making a blanket statement about hymns. I just I'm saying for me in my church, there was no heart connection with what I was singing. It was just it was a song service. You you sang some songs because that's what you did during that portion of the morning. And for sure you didn't clap, and for sure you never brought up the Holy Spirit because that guy, he was wily, and he was, you never knew what he was going to do. So the Holy Spirit really was not a concern in my church. And um, you just sang your song so you could move on to the next thing, so you could move on to the next thing. And so I came from a background of not really understanding that this that worship with music could be anything other than that. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what changed for me. Here's what you need to know about me. I'm actually super shy and introverted. And which seems odd that on the stage, I can be on the stage and be okay for whatever reason. This distance makes me feel comfortable coming off the stage, not so much. Um, and so I was always, um, even when I got on staff at churches to lead worship, I was always very reserved and always very concerned about, I didn't want to make like a distraction. I didn't want to bother anybody with what I was doing up here. And so I didn't. And I remember going to a worship conference at Saddleback, and I remember hearing Darlene Check. She wrote, Shout to the Lord. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. She's part of Hillsong Church. And I remember at the time, I had seen a couple of videos of Hillsong, and they were crazy. And they were jumping up and down on the stage, and they were dancing, and I was like, what is that? What even are you guys doing? And I remember she came out on the stage, and she addressed the fact that she had gotten a lot of flack from people. You need to stop that. It's distracting. It bothers me. It's irreverent. And here's what she said. She said, you guys, when I'm in the presence of my church family, and I'm in the presence of other believers, and my heavenly father... I can't help myself. And so I'm sorry if it bothers you, but it's not for you anyway. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And for me, that started a journey of, okay, if I believe that God is this big, breathtaking being who is worthy of of everything, then I may need to be okay with getting a little bit uncomfortable as I figure out what it looks like to worship him more and better. I think about Thad, our campus pastor in Pullman. He's a great guy. Uh, came to the Lord in his, as an adult. Um, so he didn't grow up in the church. He didn't have any exposure to what is this worship, this thing you call worship. And he's a guy that does not connect to music at all. Maybe the worst singer in the history of mankind. And there are some bad ones. Like, he's bad. And um, every week, every week, he's in front in Pullman with his hands in the air worshiping God. Why? Because it's easy for him? Because he loves it? No, because... His God's worth it. And you got to know that. And, and maybe, I, I don't know, 
Maybe God likes that more, but we'll talk more about that in a minute. I want to give us a working definition of what worship is. And this is for this series, and I'm sure that you would nuance it and finesse it a little bit. That's okay. Um, But for this series, here's kind of what we're talking about. And it's kind of rooted in Psalm chapter 22, verse 3. Here's what it says. In the old King Jimmy, we went old, there's no school like the old school, right? But thou art holy, and thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Now, there's a lot of these words in here that have been finessed and translated differently over the years. And I want to pull a couple of them apart because I think it gets to the heart of what we are trying to communicate. The first word is the word inhabit, and it's the Hebrew word yashav. Let me hear you say yashav. Yeah, and it means to sit down, to dwell, to abide, or to remain. But the idea is more than that. The nuance of this word that's really interesting is the idea of it is, so I'm, let's say I'm working in my garage. I'm working at my workbench, and I'm fiddling around with whatever I'm doing. And all of a sudden, something catches my attention out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, wait, what? Then I, I, whatever's going on over there, I've got to... I gotta, I gotta stop what I was doing over here and I gotta sit here and pay attention to that. Like the idea here is that if you want God to pay attention to your situation, worship is the space you create for him to do so. In the midst of God working at operating the universe, our praise of him, our worship to him causes God to go, what is going on over there? I need, I got to pay attention to that. In your life right now, do you need God to show up and pay attention to you? Worship is the key. It's not easy, but it's true. Now, I want to pull apart this word praise. The word praise is the word tahila. Say tahila. Yeah, it's from the root halal. And you're like, how did they get that? It's this a Hebrew lesson for another day. But it's translated several ways in the Old Testament. And each one of these ways that it's translated gives us a picture of what kind of praise are we talking about. Like, we're not talking about Forrest Gump in the back, hump, slump shoulders. Like, we're not. Is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about something different? Well, the word's translated praise. It's also translated insane. Like maybe you look crazy. It's also translated boast. It's also translated fool. It's also translated to shine. Like this should give you a picture of the kind of praise, the kind of worship that God pays attention to looks like a thing. And if you've been trying and God hasn't been, like perhaps, at least we ought to try on the possibility that it's because we haven't really worshiped in a way that grabs God's attention yet. And maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. And so for us, worship is three things. The three things that comprise the definition of worship. Number one, worship is telling God the truth of who I think he is. And by the way, that way that you worship whether you're in here pouring your heart out to God or you're in here sipping your coffee or you're not in here at all. The way that you worship is in fact you telling God the truth about who you think he is. But the second one's equally important. Worship is telling others 
the truth of who my God is. And in those same activities, you are also telling others the truth of who your God is. Thirdly, worship is the only thing that I can choose to give God that he has not given me first. Everything else that I could offer him is something that he's already given me. My worship, that's the thing that I have to offer him. And our experience is that many people come to church and they sit in worship and they decide whether or not God was there based on how worship made them feel. But the truth is that how I feel in worship has way more to do with how I prepare myself before I show up. God is here. God is fully present everywhere all the time. The question is whether or not I'm spiritually awake enough to notice. And so we want to spend a few minutes talking about preparation. So what are we doing to prepare ourselves? I think for most of us in this room, that is a completely new idea. I know I I was never taught that I should be doing anything before getting to church. In fact, it was a win if I made it there at all, right? We want to show you a video that we think is a great illustration of what it might look like to be prepared, maybe a little extreme. I don't know. I'd love to be a part of it. Aaron and I experienced this when we were in Israel. We were down at the Western Wall. Sabbath was just starting. Let's watch this. So this is before church. This is before their synagogue. Synagogues come in many hours later. This is just the day is starting. Sabbath is starting. God's holy day, his day of rest. Like, what do we do as we're rolling out of bed on Sunday morning? I'm I'm not doing that. To me, that was very compelling, and it was moving, and it caused me to have to wrestle with the thoughts that I have about Sunday morning service or the lack of thoughts that I have to come and worship this creator who's mighty and powerful and breathtaking and big, I want to share with you a verse, Hebrews 12, 28, 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I want to pull just a couple things out of there. I think one way that we could be prepared on a Sunday morning is let us be grateful. What if as we're rolling out of bed, we start thinking and turning our thoughts on what has God done that week in our lives for us? He's so good to us. What has he done? And maybe if you're in a hard place, you can think about what he did before. Because we all have so much to be grateful for. We should be able to tap into a few things. And so what if you're ruminating on that and you get in the car and you're talking about it with your kids or your roommate um, or your spouse? Um, There's something about saying it out loud. It's such a good reminder. I know I talk to myself often and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, yes. Um, It's pretty powerful. The next part in it that I wanted to pull out was Offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So reverence and awe is going to look different from person to person. I think we can agree on that. But there are some ways that I think we can all agree 
they're not reverence and awe. And this is where I'm going to step on some toes, but I need you to hear my heart. Me too, okay? Me too. Reverence and awe is not coming late because you didn't prioritize your time well. I'm not talking about you had a flat tire or car issues or there was a phone call last minute and there was a crisis. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you just stayed up late and so you pressed snooze a couple times. Yeah, done it. You let the kids stay up late so you let them sleep in late so now it's everyone's running late and there's chaos and everyone's feeding off one another. It's not reverence and awe. It's also not reverence and awe if you realize you're running late, but you probably can make the last song, but you need to get your Starbucks because you need to pay attention to the message, right? It's not reverence and awe. It's not reverence and awe coming in here with your coffee and donut, although we've remedied that situation, coming in with your coffee, drinking it while the songs are going on, talking to your neighbor while the songs are going on. That's not reverence and awe. And it's also not reverence and awe when the message is over and we've taken communion and you are out of here. Because you don't really like the music anyway. Or you want to get a jump on getting your kids out. Or you just, you're hungry, it's time for lunch. Okay. But it's definitely not reverence and awe. So how do we come to church? Do we come ready and expectant, or do we come self-focused and distracted? As Aaron said before, this can be very dangerous because we will use feelings as an indicator if God was here or not. And usually that means, for those of us who are here for at least a song or two, it's what the music conjured up. And that's a lot of weight to put on the band to give you a feeling so that you feel like God was there. The best connector to God is you preparing yourselves. That is a surefire way. So we need to come prepared, but sometimes life, life is hard, and there is tragedy, and there is suffering, and there's just, there's just drama within our families. What if, though, in those moments, in particular, that was worship that meant more I think about the Qualls, the Qualls family who lost their daughter a couple years ago in a car crash, their little girl. And here they come sitting in the second row the next Sunday. I was floored. And half the time they couldn't sing, but they had their arms around each other and they were crying and mouthing the words that they could. That is a sacrifice of worship and I believe that that meant a lot to God. I'm also reminded of a story that really crystallized this picture for me. There was a teacher who was teaching on an island. Uh, it was a Polynesian island, and she was getting ready to move away from her students. And there was a child who came up to her and brought her a gift, and she recognized it immediately as a shell that you could only get on the other side of the island. And she said, you walked very far for this. And the child said, the walk is part of the gift. Our hard stuff, when we still choose to worship, it's part of the gift. 
Did you guys know that the book of Psalms is 70% laments? This is our go-to book for praise and celebration when we want to write songs. You know, woohoo, God is awesome, praise him. It's 70% laments, cries of anguish from David's life in super hard situations, and yet it was raw and authentic, and it was worship. And I think perhaps greater worship. Kind of like when the person who doesn't have a good voice decides to sing anyway, knowing he may get made fun of by the people behind him. But he brings this beautiful sacrifice to the Lord because he knows God is worthy, and I think that is a beautiful offering. I think of the, the story of the widow's mite, right, where Jesus is watching all these people bring their big bags of gold into the temple and give them, and they're giving out of their abundance, right? Like, that happens. It, people like Kelly, like, when she sings, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just, that's a voice I could fall in love with. Like, I am moved. I'm moved to worship when she sings. Um, then my daughter, when she sings, there's a lot of people up here where I'm like, I'm moved to worship when you sing, like, but they're giving out of their abundance, right? But the widow's might comes, the widow comes and she gives like this worthless nothing sacrifice, but Jesus says that she gave more, not because of the amount, but because of what she had to work with to begin with, right? Like, should those who have incredible voices, should they lift up and lead us in worship? Absolutely they should. But for the rest of us, maybe, maybe it's more. Maybe for the rest of us, our worship means more to God. Just because, like, we don't have nothing fancy to offer. We don't have any beautiful, like, we don't have that. But I have my heart, and God wants that. And so with that in mind, um, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. And, and that means that if you're new with us, we have an open table. Um, anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake, but we want to hold the elements till the end, till they're all done being passed out, and we'll take it all together. Uh, while they're passing that out, I want to work through a few implications, and these are things that we thought were particularly important as we worked through this message. There's probably lots of other places where you're thinking that you could apply this message, and that's great. It's all wonderful. Um, but for us, these are things that we really hope that we can walk out of here with. Um, the first one is this. Worship is a decision that tells God and the world where I stand when things are good and where I stand when things are hard. Worship is a decision that tells God and the world where I stand when things are good and when things are hard. And let, let me tell you this. For a lot of us, we just stand out in the lobby and relationally connect. And I love that we're a relational church. I love that our people hang out in the lobby and do that. But here's the deal. When you see that three-minute timer come up on the TV, like you should be, it should be Stampedeville getting in here. Here's why. Because when you stay out there and talk and visit and relationally connect one to another, what you're saying is a relationship with me is more important than a relationship with your heavenly father. And that's wrong. Like, you're awesome. You are. You're amazing. You are not more important than God. Am I right? 
You've got to understand that you're getting in the way and you'll be like, well, but the, the worship's too loud. Look, I will personally buy you earplugs if that will help. If you're like, it's too quiet. They have hearing aids. Like you can get them. I'm not buying them for you. They're expensive. Those things are expensive. But like the, the whole, I don't like it, what in the world difference does that make? This is a decision to tell God who I think he is. Drive me crazy, drive me crazy. Number two, I don't ex- when I don't experience God in worship, it's more about my preparation than God's presence. He is here, he is ready, and he is able. Maybe, we should do a better job preparing ourselves. And if you got my email this week, you know, like that was one of the requests that I made, that is as you come in over the next couple of weeks that you would take some time to really prepare yourself to be here. What does that look like? Well, it looks like gratitude. It looks like spending some time with the Lord. It looks like maybe having a spiritual conversation with your family before you get here, like maybe even listening to worship music. Number three, if I want God to stop, sit down, and notice my situation, worship is the space that I create for him to do that. And so right now, if you came in here desperate, hurting, needing God in your life, which if the first two of those statements didn't grab you, the third one did. We all need God in our life. If you want God to sit down and pay attention to what's going on in your world, worship is the space that you create for him to do that. And I get it. God's active and causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust and all that stuff. And he's working, blah, blah, blah. I get all of that. But the verse says, you want God to pay attention to you? Worship him. And I think that's significant. I love communion as a weekly reminder because communion is this sign of this covenant that we're offered with God through Jesus Christ. It's the public thing that I do that tells you all that I'm in. And so this morning, I just want to throw out this challenge to you. Uh, Last Sunday night, um, we talked about, at the volunteer appreciation event, we talked about how we have been um, having the staff come up front and lead worship. And it was my wife's idea. She's like, if you want to change the worship culture in our church, you need to have the staff up front leading worship. And I was like, that's ridiculous. That'll never work. Nobody, nobody notices what, that we're up there. Um, yeah, they do. <laughs> I was so wrong. I mean, this is how most of our conversations go. She gives an idea. I go, that's dumb. And then I was wrong and she was right. That's kind of how story of our marriage. Um, but no, that's, I mean, that's how it goes. And I, and I was like, wow, I was so wrong. I was so wrong in that. It was amazing to me. And so on Sunday night, what we said is we as a staff have been trying to own the responsibility to lead well in what it means to worship our God. And we invited our leadership into that same responsibility to lead our people and what it means to worship God. And I want to extend that information to those of you that weren't there, um, that if you really want to take this seriously, that you would 
lead the way in modeling what it means to worship God even when you don't feel like it. Communion is an opportunity for us to say, I've heard everything you said, and I've been challenged by what you said, but I want everyone around me to know that I'm still in. This is the sign that we're part of this covenant. And so today, maybe it has a little deeper meaning that we're gonna start expanding our worship. I had, a, I had somebody who's been a Christian for a long time, came up to me between the services, and she said, well, I, I did it. And I said, what'd you do? And she started crying, she said, I closed my eyes and I put my hand in the air. <laughs> Listen, she's been walking with the Lord her entire adult life and she's never worshiped that way. Like for her, that was liberating. And she just wept over how she had been touched by the Lord because of it. Yeah, I want to live among such people that are not, we don't have it all figured out, but we're all moving in the right direction. And so this morning, communion, to me, means a little bit more. Because here's the deal. If we want God to work in our church, if we want God to work on the Palouse and in the world, worship is the space that we create to invite him in. This piece of bread reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant. This is going to be the sign of the new covenant that we're a part of. It's my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, you are worthy. You're worthy to be worshipped when things are good, and you're worthy to be worshipped when it's hard, and you're worthy to be worshipped with our whole heart, and you're worthy for us to make you a priority, and you're worthy for us to show up and give everything that we have in worship, and you're worthy for us not to take you for granted, and you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. And so, Lord, in this next song, we together collectively want to cry out to you and let you know that we have not forgotten that. Thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the living example and the dying example of what it means to be wholly devoted to you. Lord, give us the courage to live and worship that way. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.